This podcast is brought to you by A Hotel Life, an award-winning travel website and community founded by Ben Pundel. This episode features Stefan Ashkenazi, proprietor of Petit Hermitage and co-founder of Bombay Beach Benyali. is happening professionally right now because you've got lots of projects on the go are they are they on the go are they you know what's what's happening in your professional world obviously the hotel world is is on its knees and the the experience with petite right now is is trying for everyone involved with it so that dominates the professional landscape at the moment you know just just like yourself and anyone else in the hotel business we're all suffering together which makes it somewhat comforting. It's hard to find anyone to complain to. <laughs> that's, that's very true. Somebody just sent a, a comment, uh, which I loved. I don't know who this is, uh, but I heard Stefan Ashkenazi is Kaiser Sosa, which brings me on perfectly to my first real question. And that is, I feel like you've lived many, many lives and nobody really truly knows you, which is very rare. You're impossible to you know, look up on social media which is really rare in, in kind of hospitality or entertainment. So, you know, who, who, are, who are you and why so elusive? I don't, it's not deliberate. I don't imagine it's hard to know me if we're close friends and you're in that circle and having a digital presence is akin to not having that close relationship. I kind of have like a Native American way of, of engaging and storytelling where I like to do it in person doesn't need to be documented. This is the first time I think I've done something like this deliberately, and it was just an opportunity to nail you down for 30 minutes. I always try to get my, you know, some FaceTime with you, so this is the best way to do it. I know that you don't do much of this at all, and I, and I you know, respect that, and I'm really grateful that you're chatting to me today. Let's talk about Petit for a second. Petit Hermitage, uh, loved by many, and I'm just gonna read a couple of quotes. So Petit Hermitage, it's, uh, for those that, that, that don't know, and I hope you do, it's a 79-room hotel tucked away in a beautiful residential street in West Hollywood. And I quote, it doubles as a tribute to Catherine the Great's Heritage Museum in St. Petersburg. Another quote, it's really aimed at a neo-Bohemian crowd. Uh, I think it was the Telegraph that said it's Spanish colonial meets Parisian boudoir meets Moroccan Riyadh meets LA. My favorite motto, it's our pleasure doing pleasure with you. So Petit is not for everyone and it certainly doesn't fit into any kind of category of hotel in, in my opinion. And as you know, I'm a huge fan and it has a ferociously loyal following. So what in your opinion makes Petit different? What is your kind of focus with Petit? It's the first time I ever built anything or designed anything. I never owned a home or an apartment prior to the hotel. So I was always surprised to see people react to it the way they did. The design ethos and the construction ethos was just one person trying to do something. And um, I think what makes it special is that it's it's not done by consensus. It's not a team of designers and it's not a separate ownership and a separate management company. It was really just one person doing what they felt felt right. And so it, it ends up having a personality because it's it's a reflection of, of a single person's personality. I think once you start involving a whole team of people, some, sometimes you have a tendency to acquiesce and then it becomes sort of homogenized. Even if you have 
10 really talented people together all making great decisions, it somehow loses that singular personality. It's very, very true. So which part of Petite do you think reflects your personality best? I don't really know how to answer that. Um, the way I put it together in my own mind was if, if we're painting a painting and you have uh, a color palette, you have the colors, you have the, the palette for taste, touch, sense, you know, the, for the five human senses and you sort of you know, use, you, you dab your, your paintbrush into this, the sense of smell and you create the sense of smell and then you dab it into the sense of taste and work with your food and sense of sight and everything your eye happens to touch. Um, and it's, it's really pervasive. It's everywhere. There's not a single thing in the hotel that I haven't had my, my hands on. There's a joke in there somewhere. Including you, including you. <laughs> there's a joke in there somewhere. Um, <laughs> so one of the things I love uh, most about Petit, and there, there are many, is that it's very, very authentic. So from the artwork, which has, uh, Miro and Dali on the walls, as well as contemporary artists, whether it's uh, Olivia Steele, James Ostra, and of course, the wonderful Daniela Medenge. Carpets from Turkey, you know, there's this real sense of rich and respectful provenance of where things are from. Very few people do that anymore. So is that something that's, a, that's natural to you or is that, a, is that a real focus to ensure that things have that true sense of authenticity? I grew up around uh, art. My father and my uncle were art collectors, and that was just a, a natural part of the, the environment we grew up in. The the Miro and the de Kooning and some of those other um, original pieces were once a part of a family collection that was lost. And in putting the hotel, in creating the hotel, also a portion of the story that I was telling myself is that to tell the story and to tell an authentic story, I need to pull pieces from my own personal experience and from my own past. And so I, I went out to reacquire some of the things that had once belonged to us, including the Moreau um, and the Dolly and the de Kooning. So th those sort of created a bit of an anchor for me. And then the collection was rebuilt around uh, pieces that had once been part of the family. And that's with the artwork, but I, you know, we spent some time together in Turkey and, and the, the, the focus on the ashtrays just is unlike any other person in the hotel business whatsoever, because other people would just take one and knock it off. But that would not be something that would be appropriate for you, which I fully admire and respect. That also might be because I was with you and I didn't want to just steal it right in front of you. But you would. Uh, but yeah, maybe. But you could have just asked. No. But I really did appreciate that. Now... You've also kept Petit Hermitage open during the pandemic and, and been offering various things. So tell us about your decision to do that and what you've been experiencing through this time. Listen, it's, it, it was a horrifying thing to watch for you and for anyone else in the hotel business. I mean, for everyone around the planet. This, none of this is fun for anyone. Um, the hotel world in particular, for those that are not involved in a, in a hotel or hospitality environment, you know, our, our, our fixed costs are so extremely high always that people, people don't understand that when you have zero business, you are, you're not able to just freeze it. You're not able to, to, to stop your run on costs. So for every day you're operating at zero occupancy, you are losing absurd amounts of money. We also have a very tight team of people that operate the hotel. And it's, I refer to it as a family, but it's even more of a family now than ever before. And the mission to stay open 
um, was very clearly a group decision on our part. The, the core group of managers were involved in it. We had a, we'd had over a hundred people on staff prior to the shutdown and reduced it to roughly 11 core managers. And in order to be able to support those managers and support the rest of the staff that had been laid off, knowing that a lot of that staff was not going to be able to tap into unemployment benefits, we really had no choice but to stay open in order to support the core group of managers, as well as those that had been uh, temporarily let go. And the support plan for those that had been temporarily let go was to create a food supply out of the hotel, and we needed to stay open to just assure that. Um, And it was the right thing to do for the staff and for that family, less about the business. Actually, almost nothing to do with the business. Economically, probably a bad move. um, But from a moral perspective and a human perspective, very much the right move. And the hotel's been 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 doing relatively relatively well, running at occupancies that have shocked. Surprisingly, me. or maybe not so. I, I think the reason why we've been having um, sort of record occupancies uh, relative to the rest of the market is because it, the place is still filled with an obscene amount of passion. The, the heroes in my life are this small group of people, and I like I'd love to mention them by name. Nancy Martin, Irma Troy, Anne, Chloe, Rhoda, Carlos, Bridget, Patrick, May, Izzy, and Taylor are people that have chosen to shut their lives down, move into the hotel, uh, operate a hotel that requires 100 people on staff to operate it, and do do it with 10, which is... It's a feat in of itself, and it's 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 been the most humbling of this whole experience, um, and the most emotional of this whole experience, to be overwhelmed with love and passion for the people that have thrown their passion and their love right right back into the hotel. It's amazing. I think you're absolutely right, and, and as Randall said, bra- bravo, heroes! You know the obscene passion that you have to have to succeed in hospitality goes way beyond way beyond a paycheck and i'm very uh, familiar with some of the people that you work with and you are absolutely right they are true hospitality heroes true human heroes have nothing to do with hospitality in the end but they're incredible yeah. so steph what can we do to help what are some of the initiatives you're running to help keep things going at, at petite thank you for asking ben there's a few things, and, and again, for people that are not involved in the hospitality industry, have not read up enough on it, for those that think that government aid and unemployment are, are universal for anyone working in, the, in this country or in this industry, there are huge swaths of employees and workers in the hospitality industry in particular that just simply won't be able to get their hands on any form right. of aid. So one of the core things, as you see people's paychecks go away or in support go away, is the basics, food. Right? Like I never thought I would be in a position of having to raid the hotel's food cash and put it into boxes and have that core group of people at the hotel that I just mentioned bundle it up and supply people with food. Like it, it, it is a, is that dire. So other than us supplying the food, 
whatever we can do to um, both raise awareness and bring some kind of, of money to those that just don't qualify for unemployment. Right. Um, so we started an art auction at the hotel. We've been auctioning off the most valuable pieces to me personally and into the hotel's collection. All of that goes to directly to the staff that need it. Um, it's an Instagram-based auction. It was started at GoFundMe, um, which also was helpful. And also for people to know that the hotel's still open. Um, we're taking an opportunity right now to, to refresh the place as much as possible so that we can take advantage of these unfortunate slow times and at least make ourselves pretty so that when you come back, we're looking good. So a couple of things there, the GoFundMe page, there's Petite Hermitage GoFundMe. So if you can, um, thank you, Smith. Yes, this is personal. So thank you, Steph. Uh, um, go, go to the GoFundMe page of Petite Hermitage, help them out. It's worth it. Check out the uh, Instagram page for the silent auction and DM and put your bids in and know that the hotel is open. I know my friend Khalid this morning, uh, you know, when he saw that we were having a chat, he said, wow, so I can move there for, for a month or two. What's better than that? So yes, you can. Uh, and I'm sure there will be plenty of surprises along the way. Yeah, well, absolutely you can. Um, for those that are wondering, you know, the health and safety issue being foremost um, important at this moment, as our world was unraveling, and um, who was the former GM and is still part of the, the core family and is still inside the hotel, pulled in someone from, from Disneyland's sanitation department. So we really just, before any CDC information came out on what to do, we kind of ramped it up to Disney World level of, uh, of hygiene. Um, so other than following the CDC guidelines, I think we've taken it several steps further to ensure that you, you can be safe, you can be secure, and you still can enjoy the experience. Fortunately, our rooftop, the hotel's public experience is almost exclusively outside, right? And you've mm -hmm. been there. Um, and it's um, it's working well to our advantage at this very moment. And it's never been the, the plan to, to jam the rooftop with bodies. So it's still, um, it's naturally socially distanced on its own. So you can go up to the roof, you can be in the garden, you can go to all of those spaces and enjoy the space. And Can you go and enjoy the rooftop if you are, if you are not a, a member or a hotel guest at this point? No, you have to be a hotel guest. The restaurant and bar itself are not open. You can be able to get your, your supplies through via room service. And you could still go up and enjoy the space. It's just you won't be having the, the, the regular services of food and, and, and drink. You can get it in your room um, and then enjoy the outside. Got it. Still, still sounds like a wonderful place to quarantine. All right, so sw switching gears for a little bit. For those that don't know, uh, you know, tell people a little bit about the, the, the birth of the Bombay Beach Biennale. I've been fanatic about monkeying with reality for as long as I can remember. And the, the hotel itself is a, is a representation of that. Since I was a child, since I was like an early teen, even preteen, had these dreams of creating space and, and treating hospitality sort of like circusy theater where some people know that they're on stage and part of the gag and some people don't. And you're able to, like, that's the X factor of how you play with it. So since developing the hotel, I'd always hoped for a larger sort of field of play. 
So the hotel, you have your four walls, you have your roof, and you're sort of confined to a space. And the idea of breaking outside of those four walls and doing something, doing something larger where some of it is part of your reality manipulation and some of it is not. And prior to discovering Bombay Beach, I'd been on a hunt for ghost towns for several years. And in a conversation with three of the people closest to me at that very moment in time, we happened to be having a conversation about taking the Cirque camp from Burning Man into the desert. And there were a couple of locations in the California desert that were on the list, ready to go. And my friend Bart, um, my friend Tao, and Arwen, who was my girlfriend at the time, and still a very dear friend, had all, in their own ways, brought up Bombay Beach. Bart, horrifyingly, um, said, just stay away from that place. It's just, Bart had made a film there in the 90s. Arwen had made uh, or had written a zombie apocalypse horror film and been trying to get me there for a couple of years and had described it as a place that I could never imagine going. Um, and Tao was like, I, I bought a house in Bombay Beach. I would love to do something in Bombay Beach. I've been planning on doing something in Bombay Beach. Let's all go there together. And that first trip happened in over Thanksgiving with Arwen and Tao. And the Biennale was born that weekend and happened the following April. It's incredible. And, and I just want to quote the New York Times, who last year said that the Bombay Beach Biennale started as, and I quote, a sort of joke because you, Steph, liked the alliteration and the idea of spoofing the art world. Do you think that's mission accomplished? I wasn't paying attention to the art world at all. I, I, it's, it's one of the, one of the, one of the components of it, but the, the original birth was, let's go do something fun and special in a place that is truly unique. It, it actually doesn't require much. Bombay Beach all in itself, I mean, other than the ecological catastrophe on the Salton Sea, Bombay Beach itself is just filled with such a wonderful basket of, of strange. So for me, it was my own personal creative outlet to be able to do something similar to what I just mentioned about getting outside of the four walls of a hotel and getting into an entire small town. So personal creative needs on my own, and then also a wish to take the creative energies that I had surrounding me for the last many years and also helping to unleash their skills and talents into that town. And you obviously include incredible artists and characters from, from all around the world, opera singers, people have built huge installations like Randy and incredible artists. It's amazing what you are accomplishing there. It's a very long list of, of talented people. At this point, there's hundreds of, of creative talents involved in it. And when Tao, Lily and I sort of set out to do it, I don't know if we ever contemplated it ever getting this big. It, it wasn't, I don't think there was the agenda. Petite Hermitage, beautiful hotel in LA, Bombay Beach Biennale, uh, for better or for worse, let's call it an arts festival. The thing that kind of piques my interest is, as well as those, is, is this. And um, not everybody knows about Dos Peros, and it is exceptional. And, and for those that are not following Dos Peros Instagram, please do. It is wildly offensive and truly genius. So um, tell us a little bit about your love for mezcal and Oaxaca, because I know it's something that you've been very fond of way before the whole kind of mezcal trend. How, mm. how did that come about? Well, first, um, the, the irreverence associated with that Instagram feed um, 
homage needs to be paid to Rouge, who he's still struggling to get out of his teens, and and sometimes it, <laughs> it, it, it's reflected in in that channel. How did it start? Over ten years ago, my brother and I were on a, a sort of hotel expe- expedition trip in Correas on the Pacific coast of Mexico, looking at a hotel we've been sort of monkeying around with for a year or two. And as we were trying to figure it out, the fellow that owned the hotel, a very wealthy Mexican man, we were having a conversation about tequila and the conversation turned into mezcal. And 10 years ago, you couldn't find mezcal, even really in Mexico. It wasn't, it wasn't something people were drinking. And I had just wanted to bring some mezcal back to, to the hotel, just to give our guests something to explore. And, in this sit-down with the then owner of that hotel, I actually believe he still owns it, he just laid out a spread of various mezcals, and on that, in that spread happened to be what we're currently both drinking right now. Um, so I don't take credit for it being great. I do take credit for recognizing how great it was and trying to stuff it into a bottle and bring it up here. By the way, I know it's 1.30 in the afternoon. It's 10 o'clock where Steph is, but there's a pandemic going on. There are no rules. If there are, it's airport rules. You can do whatever you want at whatever time you yeah. like. Drinking your way through this is perfectly fine. I read that somewhere. It was re- recommended. Words of wisdom, my friend. Mm. Words of wisdom. So you've got creative fingers in proverbial pies. What's next for you? You are, Ben. My darling. Wonderful. <laughs> Is there is there something you're doing or something you 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 have your mind set on or your heart uh, that your heart desires that uh, that you'd like to do next? Other than you. So moving swiftly on. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, Ben. Everything that I'm currently working on have been things that I've been have been in the pipeline for maybe up to ten years um, prior to this. Um, pandemic we were planning on launching a safari in kenya in this coming december yes. and that was going to be the second yes. petite i'd never had plans for replicating like petite as a hotel for me was never about a, it being a brand try to replicate the brand and rattle them out all over the place i don't think it'd be possible and i just don't think it's something i'd like to do it's it's such a such a personal thing it's it's essentially my home and was built around my own personal uh, desires for the way that I want to communicate with people and for the people that I also hold dear, dear and knowing that we simply just didn't have a public or private space to to have that kind of exchange. So it, it's a real hands-on thing and it's still a very hands-on thing. That being said, this second and only extension of Petite that I really saw coming was going to be this Petite Hermitage Safari in Kenya, which is probably not going to be happening this right. December. Our project in Topanga is maybe it's shifting. Also, the 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 experience I've had with supplying food to food almost as a currency to the core staff of the hotel or to all the staff of the hotel has imbued me with a greater importance on food supply and food quality. So lately, I've just been planning on building a beautiful biodynamic kind of food growth world in Topanga that will supply food to the hotel and will supply food to the people that are in Topanga and maybe beyond. Uh, If we can get the supply going to a larger scale, maybe it's its own CSA. 
for people that are part of the, the community. So Steph, that's absolutely the future. And a lot of people right now are talking about the Second World War when America took food supply into its own hands and started freedom gardens. And people might not know this, where 40% of the population would actually just live from the food they grew themselves, which is a fascinating statistic considering even after the Second World War, the amount of people, the, the population of the US. So the idea of a biodynamic food supply, food chain, from you would be wonderful. I'm, you know, I'm, Tansy would be up for, you know, to tell her she would be. be I'm actually just her. lying. I'm just saying this to convince you and Tansy to get out oh, here. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm really just picking it up from Vons. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, so we'll we'll be there soon. So brilliant. Project yeah. in Topanga. The rest is the rest is to come. Uh, and, oh, and the um, I still think the last resort project in Bombay Beach is as underway as it was before. The whole plan was for it to take a little while anyway. So now I have this as an excuse for not completing it on time. There's no rules anymore. Really not. I mean, none whatsoever. Anyway, I knew it wasn't a morning whiskey, but I just didn't want to get into the mezcal conversation yet. Mm -hmm. I should have, should have tapped into one earlier. Yeah. Um, so Steph, on a, on a slightly more serious note, do you think this is the reset the world needs or, or do you think we're going back to business as, as usual? Will we go back to normal? Sure. I think, you know, I think people have short memories. And even though this is, this sucks, the economic impact is going to be felt for a while. I mm -hmm. think that it's forcing us to just be a little bit more nuclear with our communities and take care of those that that need it. Um, I'm, I'm not really paying attention to anything that's going on on Instagram, but I would imagine those that you're quarantined with, you're, you're developing tighter, closer, uh, more important bonds. It's happening for me um, where I'm at, and it's certainly happening with the, the crew that's um, holed up in the hotel um, in town. Um, so those bonds will be, I, I don't see those being easily easy to break. And I just want to read something from Randall, a, a comment that came through, uh, because it summarizes what you're saying so well about community. So Randall just said, so many people I love on this communication chain, and we all have Stefan, the magician, to thank for creating the magic and space to allow this community to form amazing and life-changing. So I'm very, very aware. Thank you, Randall. I'm very aware of how... Uh, Randall's been drinking since 8 a.m., by the way. Respect. Uh, yeah. um, He's been drinking since 8 a.m. and he's well, yeah, three Amazing. months ago. <laughs> um, so, you, you know, you're absolutely right. There is a very close community that you've created. And I think there will be a lot of the world that goes back to business as usual. There has to. The, 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 the world is, 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 is suffering economically. Those people need to get back to work. They need to get back to, to, to the lives that they once had. But I think there's going to be this level of innovation and certainly within, dare I say, you know, community, that is stronger than ever and, and won't be able to get broken. So, you know, I feel very fortunate Steph, to be part of the community that you have helped or, or that you uh, helped to pioneer over the past few years. So, you know, we'll come and uh, uh, help with that. Thank you for that, that comment, Randall. Biodynamic, biodynamic farm. Yes, from Vaughan. Yeah. Yeah. Look forward to it. So any, any, any silver linings that have come from the pandemic for you? The, the, the bonds that we're discussing, those are really welcomed. Um, you know, deep, meaningful, emotional content is something that I've always looked to have with people. And this is uh, this is a fine excuse for everyone to be forced into that. 
Americans as a whole, and the sort of Western current, the, the current Western world has hasn't had something like this in generations. And we're fortunate that this is not like some kind of war or where people are dying all over the place at the hands of some some villain. Um, right. This is it sucks. It sucks equally for everyone, and it's is the first time the planet has all been on the same page of fellow commiserators with one form of suffering. So. I think that it'll be forgotten at some point soon. Um, I think once people start getting back to work and start wanting a new Ferrari, that uh, that go, that goes away. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, mean, I thought I I thought, and I'm sure you probably thought the same thing in 2008, where there was this, you you be sort of hoped for the great reset, where right. where people would be a little less greedy, because that was the direct result of of abject levels of greed and for about a year after that 2008 crisis i myself at petite saw people i never thought that would be ever coming to the hotel people that would normally stay at the peninsula or the beverly hills hotel that just felt guilty spending their money that way and that lasted for about a year it's not even guilt it changes people it you just it doesn't matter it's not about money it's it's about you know who do you want to be and it but that right. that's the difference so the 2008 thing was was greed generated and there, there was a reset for a short period of time and then gone right and then you go back to the consumption i don't i don't know when we'll forget about this but at some point in time people back to businesses as usual and go back to their regular consumption the one thing i think that will remain are those close bonds the the, the best way to mm -hmm. to detect the certain character in a person is to go through a crisis together and most certainly this is a crisis and you could see what people are made of and you could see what you're made of. You'll probably eliminate certain people from your life that didn't react as well as you'd hoped. And you will keep people closer that you saw react to this in a more noble human kind of way. Right. Because I think ultimately a crisis like this, like this one will hopefully make us think about ourselves, our, our, our meaning on this short time that we have here, what we, what we mean to each other and to the earth. Because if we keep plundering the earth's resources, of course there's going to be another pandemic. If we're going into, into the, the, the forest and the caves and the rocks and the, there's going to be diseases and, and viruses. And, and sadly, that's human nature is to keep just... Uh, uh, keep just taking the other experience i'm having in los angeles and maybe you're having it in new york seeing um the air is better right the birds are happier right i'm in brooklyn right now and i've got i've got a rooftop and i've got birds all over the i've been here for four years birds flying around i didn't think that would be possible i love yeah. it the the most positive outcome we could hope to get from this is that people recognize that the earth's having a nice moment to breathe and Hopefully that's something that we don't forget in the, the near future. But again, I'm not that hopeful. So quick fire round. Um, question one. There are hummingbirds and butterflies on the roof of Petit Hermitage. Is it true that it's an officially recognized U.S. National Wildlife Federation sanctuary? True. Wow. Okay. Is it true that you lured Toledo, the cabaret singer? That seems not enough. But is it true that you lured Toledo to come and perform weekly at Petit Hermitage by telling him... I quote, I'm going to build a hotel for you so you can perform there. Something like that. I've been haranguing Toledo for 20 years. Wow. I, I've known him for now 22 years. So, and I, I tried to get him to 
go to another country once, which he he wasn't feeling back then. Best thing you've eaten during quarantine? Keep it clean. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Nickname as a kid? Steph. If you could host a, a, a party or dinner for anybody, dead or alive, no budget restrictions, who would it be for or what would it look like? Can I have two? Yeah, sure. Okay. Salvador Dali. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure he'd be able to express much, just the based off the, the little I know of him. But the, the surreal world, um, you know, is is always the most fascinating for me. That you could play with reality to the point that that is your reality. And having a dinner party. Have you ever seen Salvador Dali's uh, dinners uh, for gala? No. Right. So Salvador Dali was really into just absurd dining experiences. And many years ago, I think you might have seen it or seen some images of it at Cirque. Um, we started playing with these just over the top black tie, like play with your food in the strangest of ways kind of dinners. And I think that he would really appreciate it. And I'd love to have a conversation about even more strange ways to, to get food into you. And the second person would be that, that weird neighbor I had that I never really knew that was always looking strange out of the window and just shutting the curtain. And I'd like to have him for dinner just to know why he was being so strange. Do, do you now know, know your no, 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 still that's, no. Still no. One of the greatest dinners I've ever had was with you in the Masters Lounge uh, on the roof of Petit Hermitage, where last Halloween or two Halloweens ago, you nailed, stapled uh, 150 three foot, uh, four foot, you know, cuddly toy bears around the, the, the room. And there was a dining table and, and a piano. And Tansy and I came to dinner. Uh, thank you, by the way. And halfway through the dinner, uh, one of the bears who was uh, nailed to the wall came alive and scared the shit out of us. It was one of the best and uh, strangest dinners I've ever ever had. I've still got the videos that Tansy holds against me um, all the time. Anyway, we're completely digressing. I want to know a couple more questions. Mountain, forest or ocean? All of them. Quarantine hero? The staff of the hotel. Thank you. Is there anything else you'd like to add before I do a gushing synopsis of, of how we can help? No, I'm feeling pretty good about this conversation. I mean, just, you know, it's, it, it's the, the, the art auction. I, I, could, I can't stress that enough. The art auction, the GoFundMe, and the market at the hotel. The market at the hotel. So we, we also started something at the hotel, the Grand Bazaar, the Petite Grand Bazaar Market which anyone that is based in Los Angeles or has someone based in Los Angeles that you'd like to get food or supplies to, doing it through the hotel will just help keep the staff fed um, so and, and paid. For everybody watching, Petite Hermitage's GoFundMe page, the, the auction on their Instagram at Petite Hermitage, Instagram, the bazaar at the hotel, and the hotel is open, so please go and stay there and spend your money and support the staff. Steph, thank you so much for being so generous with your time. Uh, I know this isn't something you usually do, so I really, really appreciate it. This is the, the best time I've had doing anything like this ever. It's, it's such a pleasure to speak with you and to look at you. Yeah. I, I miss you. Steph, thank you so much. Stay thank safe, you, stay healthy, you stay too. sane. And everybody, thank you so much for joining. Really appreciate it. And we'll um, chat again soon. And Steph, I hope, hope to see you in the flesh soon.
This podcast is brought to you by A Hotel Life, an award-winning travel website and community founded by Ben Pundel. This episode features Stefan Ashkenazi, proprietor of Petite Hermitage and co-founder of Bombay Beach Benyali.